0: Brittany, what was your life like before August 9th, 2014?
1: Before August 9th, I was still in undergrad. So school, work, I worked up to two jobs all throughout undergrad. Um, Worked for a nursing agency back at home. And I also worked like retail and I was a waitress. I was still, you know, mothering my daughter and traveling. Um, I traveled abroad with, you know, someone who I was with at the time. I traveled across the country a lot. It was very, it was not as stressful. I also did not have anxiety the way that I have anxiety now. It was a completely different life, it feels like.
0: Okay, so then... The day of August 9th, or the really be probably August 10th, when it is when you found out?
1: I, I found out August 9th. I was actually out of town. I was in New York with some friends, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I first saw it on Facebook. A friend of mine from college was, he made a status, and he said, um, The police just shot and killed a kid, and he's still in the middle of the street. I'm like, no, this just doesn't seem right. So then I go to Twitter. On Twitter, it's like more of a big deal. People are like taking photos, and I kept seeing the uh, Pharaoh being retweeted on my timeline, who is the person who knew Mike Brown, and they shot him in front of his apartment. And that's when I really was like, wow, this is not a joke. Like, this is like real. And they had a body. Picture of a body just floating down my timeline and from that moment I was just glued to my phone <clears throat> completely sucked out of my element I was not enjoying myself anymore I was just completely glued to my phone for the rest of my trip um, I, all night I just kept kept scrolling through Twitter I was watching videos of the police pull dogs out on protesters and I think I don't know if it was that first night or the second night of me watching from afar, where this police officer pulled this rifle out on protesters and caught them fucking animals. And I was like, I gotta get home, like immediately. So um, I think the people who I was traveling with kind of knew that I was kind of out of my element, you know? I couldn't really enjoy myself. I had knots in my stomach the whole time. I kept touching base with folks back at home. My little brother was getting ready to go off to school and my mom was texting me telling me that she was trying to get him out of the city as soon as possible. So they drove all the way down to New Mexico to drop him off at school early. He was going to New Mexico State University. It was just a very hard time for the city and for people in the city who were watching what was happening like in our backyard, you know? Because people say Ferguson on TV, like that's how we nationally have come to know St. Louis, by Ferguson, but that's St. Louis, you know? Um, And the entire city was, was moved one way or another by what had happened when Mike Brown was murdered, left laying in the street, did not call an ambulance, you know, and then the uprising occurred. It had an impact on everyone.
0: How far from where you live was his body
1: found? At that time, I was living in South St. Louis. It's about a twenty-minute drive. Okay, so yeah,
0: pretty close. Yeah, it's not so very far my, at all. And you have a brother that's around his age. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: my brother is now twenty-one. Mm. At the time, I think they were the same age.
0: Right. Yeah. So I know, I, I, I'm not sure if it was you had, who had said this in a prior interview, but somebody did that it was really not a protest at first. It was going to become a gathering. Yeah. People were going to go out there and, and maybe hold a vigil, mm-hmm. something like that. But at what point did these gatherings become actual protest and you turn your life over basically to this?
1: I would say when, when folks gathered together when the night had happened, it was the police response that sparked an uprising. These were people from that community and from the outlying communities, different parts of St. Louis, coming together to mourn a loss in the most despicable way, you know? And to be met with the type of aggression and force that people were met with by the police, that is what caused the uprising. It was Um, people in positions of power, treating civilians, um, like we, like literally like we were animals, um, making people walk in circles and talking to people like they had had no right to feel grief. They had no right to mourn. So it was supposed to be a vigil. It was supposed to be people getting together to hold space. For mike brown but being met with dogs tear gas i mean mace and rifles and riot gear that made it what it was
0: and prior to august 9th, 2014 just just quickly what was your life like going to the store was it did you feel as, as persecuted as the way you see in this um, footage of either the night after the shooting mm-hmm. or, or other. Going to so, so what is your life like just driving? Just being, oh. how, do you feel watched? Do you feel like you're scrutinized?
1: In St. Louis, always. Mm-hmm. Those, like the way that I feel being a black woman now has, it didn't just happen after August 9th. Whether it was driving, or whether it was me existing in predominantly white spaces, um, whether it was me walking into a store, I've always been aware of my blackness, and in some cases, how my blackness intersects with my womanness when I go into certain spaces. Very aware of it. I think most black people are, you know, because we have to be. So I think after August 9th in St. Louis, tensions, racial tension, has always. It's always been in St. Louis, but it heightened to the point to where people became a little bit more blatant. You know, they want they want you to know where they stand, what they believe in. It makes the tension uh, a, lot, a lot more thick, thicker, you know. Um, but nothing really changed about my experience, except I might rub a lot of people a little bit. Uh, I, I rub them the wrong way now because I'm more public and open about how I feel as far as my policies are concerned and it's just one of those types of things where people, they don't agree with you, they want you to know that they don't agree with you. They want you to feel like you're wrong and they're right and why, you know, but that's really it.
0: I was just reading an article yesterday and it was about when you decide to take your life to a different spot that's different from how everybody else is going, Mm -hmm. it challenges people. Oh, yeah. And maybe people that you think would embrace you actually feel either threatened or maybe even envious because you're doing something that they secretly wish they could.
1: It's been, as far as my relationships with people, I've had people distance themselves from me, not wanting to be associated. I've had people silently agree with what i'm saying you know people say i can't really say those things i can't really make those statements but every time you do inside i'm like yeah you know and i'm like well you know it just comes it comes with the territory you know um i don't really dwell on the fact that there are people who are envious of this kind of work I don't understand that. I don't know what is there to be envious about. Um, it's just doing the work. It's so much for everybody to do, you know, so that I don't I don't really dwell on that. What I what I prioritize is black people. What I prioritize is doing the work however I can do it and focusing on what I'm capable of doing, staying in my lane. Um, that's all I can really do.
0: It shows you in the film at various points, saying you're either here with us mm-hmm. on the front line mm-hmm. or you just go home, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: a lot of people would come and spectacate. Is that a word? <laughs> like they would like <laughs> want to like they're spectators. They would mm-hmm. want to like uh, watch, see what would happen. And it's like, no, you, like things can go from zero to 60 very quickly. As far as the arrests are concerned, as far as being attacked by the cops, being tear gassed and maced, I don't like feeling responsible when folks come out to actions and then they get hurt or they get arrested and they weren't planned to. So if I put a call out and I let everybody know it's a red action, meaning that the chances of being arrested are very, very high, do not come, and you come anyway just to watch, that's, this is not, this isn't a football game. This isn't, you know, we're not playing recreational sports. This is organized civil disobedience. And you are either participating in it or you're not, you know? So the spectators, when they come to things like that, um, I just don't think it's the right place or the right time for it. I do feel responsible when folks come to stuff and they didn't want to get arrested but they're there, especially if I organized it cause then I feel like I wasn't clear enough about my action. You know, I wasn't clear enough about the risk. And I just, I don't like putting people in those types of positions. So I sure everybody knows that they're getting themselves into when they make the choice to show up. But still, it's just one of those things that you don't just stand around and to, to just watch, you know? Um, so, I do like for people to show up if they're gonna be active, if they're gonna take a risk, if they're gonna, you know, participate in civil disobedience. It just gets very stressful when people are there to watch, unless they're legal observers or unless they're documenting. I just don't think it's really appropriate because it's work, like it's, we're doing the work, you know?
0: Speaking of a football game or, or sports game, why do you think people are so? Some people are offended by the hands up statement.
1: I don't know why. Who people
0: are offended by that? Well, the the weren't the football. And forgive me, I'm not a football fan, but weren't the St. Louis? Uh, there were four football players who decided to, in in solidarity, do the hands up.
1: I feel like the people who are offended by that were the same people who are totally against the movement in general. You know. There are people who are offended by people who say Black Lives Matter, by people who wear pins that say that, by people who don't believe Mike Brown should be dead right now. There are people offended by that. They're offended by the truth. They're out to protect their own white supremacy beliefs and their privilege. Those type of people, those are like bottom right. I don't pay them any attention. So, um, yeah. People are offended by things that make them feel uncomfortable, they're not able or they're not ready yet to face the realities of what black people experience globally. Of course, when someone makes a bold statement, like hands up, or Black Lives Matter, they're gonna feel like all lives matter, you know? Or Mike Brown deserved it. he shouldn't have been a criminal, he shouldn't have did this, then it shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. But We all know. Do
0: you think they feel guilty?
1: Mm, I don't think, I don't think racists are completely uh, even thoughtful enough to know what to even feel guilty about. I think that they, I think they are um, very committed to protecting what serves them, which is white supremacy. I don't. I think guilt comes from self-reflection. I think it comes from, a lot of times, I feel like you have to think about your actions. You have to think about what you said in order to elicit some feeling of guilt. How you respond to the guilt, you know, that depends on each individual. But to even feel it, I feel like you have to put some thought into it. White supremacists, races, they do what they do, and that is to protect the system that protects them. It is to keep, um, keep things in order the way that it always has been. I don't think that guilt is even a, an option when it comes to white supremacists. They don't feel.
0: So what do you think will happen when the film, Who Streets, screens in in throughout the entire state of Missouri
1: well I saw a preview on Facebook and I scrolled through the comments I usually don't do that but I did and it was a lot of people who wanted to talk about how Mike Brown was a criminal and that's why he re- was killed in the Black Lives Matter movement is useless and We don't do anything when black on black crime happens, but we protest police brutality. The same things that people always do to try to invalidate the movement and try to invalidate why the uprising occurred and why uprisings have been occurring nationwide. I feel like it's gonna be the same thing. It's gonna be people wanting to invalidate what is true with their reasons for why Black life should be deemed as worthless. You know, I expect that. I expect a lot of pushback. I expect people to be uncomfortable. I expect people to wanna argue about why the film is is uh, dishonest or why, you know, there's this thing where people now has created this narrative where Black Lives Matter automatically means that you're anti-police. So that's gonna be I know that's going to be a conversation. People are going to probably call it an anti-police film. but
0: Well, I don't want to give away too much about the film, but I think it's in the middle and you have a very powerful scene where you're showing a woman, a woman of color, and you're saying things to her and Mm -hmm. she can't speak, but her face shows that she wants to say something. Mm -hmm. And it's a really powerful scene. So I, I don't think it totally paints it. Yeah. Is anti-law enforcement. But.
1: I have heard people ask, "Why didn't we get the police perspective?" The media already does that. So for someone to even ask that, they framed it like, "Oh, well, this seems like you're just trying to capture the voices of the community, and you didn't even ask the police how they felt." We don't need to. You can, every time you turn on the television, and the 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 narrative is set already. They they have already told the police story. They were afraid. They fear for their lives. They, who knows, you know, but the narrative has already been set by mass media. What opportunity do people ever have to tell their own stories? When that police officer, that black woman, was on the brink of tears in that film, it was a very powerful scene. I don't think it it, it speaks volumes. I don't think we need to hear what she has to say to understand in that moment she was probably torn between working for a a system that does not care about her or her family or her black children and facing a community who is finally standing up to the system that she works for declaring that they have the right to live and that they matter and that they're not backing down and that they want answers and they want justice and they want the whole system dismantled because it's guilty, you know? That she had to be torn in pieces, but I don't feel like I need to get the police perspective in order, in order to know that. Like, it, it's all over her face in that particular scene.
0: Yeah, definitely in that scene. I mean, you do have like these I don't know if they're city council meetings, but there's definitely you see the stance. It, it's it, it I think that it's pretty clear what a certain part of the community feels. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was just wondering, who is the movie for? If you feel that maybe change is not possible and maybe you're right, some things are so ingrained in certain people's minds that it's not possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Who is the movie for? The movie is for people who want to know the truth about what happened in Ferguson, who want an on the ground look at what people who were involved in the movement, the movement work, the on the ground work that took place, the response of the police to protesters who want to know how we were treated, why we rose up in the first place. That's who the movie's for. It's for people who want honest answers and honest perspective about what actually happened in Ferguson. And even the movie, it only captures the perspective of four or five people, you know? It's not everyone. I mean, I'm pretty sure we could go on for hours. We can probably even create a series of the experiences that people in St. Louis faced during the Ferguson uprisings. There are hundreds of people who took to the streets. There are hundreds of people who came out of their house and were fighting for their lives. But Who Streets, Damon and Sabai, captured a number of people to tell a greater story. This is the truth. This is what happened. You know, and it completely counters every single media narrative that has ever come out of Ferguson.
0: You had said, or or I don't know if it was just the film said that social media was actually more accurate in Mm -hmm. terms of depicting what was going on and that a lot of the media had their own bias mm-hmm. can you talk about what that was like being there especially during those what was it like a hundred days yeah uh, um when you felt or, or maybe you didn't but a duty to put out things that maybe contradicted what the big outlets were showing
1: yeah i all of the the events that i could rely on like things that i knew that were actually taking place i had to find out from social media and i broadcasted on social media um there was one particular time, I will never forget, we were out in Ferguson one night, pouring milk on people who had been tear gassed. There was like an armored truck going up and down the streets just shooting out canisters at anyone who who they saw on the streets. And there were still people out there, they had bandanas on their face, their their hands are up, and these this armored truck just kept shooting canisters. and. Like watching people scatter like roaches. This was in a residential neighborhood. So, this is a neighborhood where there are houses and side streets, and children live in these houses. And they were going up and down the street, shooting tear gas canisters down these streets. These streets are blocked off with these cement, like wall things, where you couldn't drive in and out. They wanted to keep people from protesting, so they put those up in the neighborhood so people can even leave their homes. Um, So we went over one night to pour milk on people who were tear gassed because they couldn't see, they were like uh, gasping for air. That night, as we were doing that, a truck turned the corner, an armored truck, and I can't remember if they were shooting out tear gas or rubber bullets, I can't remember, all I know is that when we saw that it was myself and maybe four or five others, we just took off running. And um, I had to like clear this fence because I just didn't have time to open it. (laughs) So we're running super fast. I clear this fence and we're in this backyard of who knows. I don't know whose home it was, but we're like face down in the grass in this backyard while this armored truck drives down um, the back street behind the house of the yard we're laying in and the police is on the, the mic and the police is a white guy he's like get the fuck home leave the fucking neighborhood be like that and then the light shines on us and then we hear more tear gas canisters and then at some point we get up and we go to the car and we're in the car and I'm scrolling through through Twitter and Uh, Don Lemon is on TV reporting that everything's peaceful that night in Ferguson. You know, that's why we have to tweet. That's why we have to put everything on social media because while Don Lemon is down the block saying everything is peaceful tonight because of the curfew, because of Ron Johnson, things are nice tonight in Ferguson. We're face down in grass because the cops are tear gassing people and we're trying to, pour milk on them so they can at least either finish finish protesting doing what they're doing or they can get home. So those are the kind of contradictions that occur that occurred every single day.
0: Lastly, I know we have to wrap up unfortunately, but advice for anyone whether it's a woman, a mother who wants to turn their life over that they have no other choice that they can't Just lead a normal life like they had maybe before Mm -hmm. things have changed for them. Whatever the cause is What's your advice to them on day-to-day life? Dealing with anxiety. Mm
1: -hmm. You got to take care of yourself This work is for the long haul, you know, I don't think I'm I know I'm not gonna see freedom I don't know if my daughter's gonna see it, but it's a It's a fight, you know We're in it for the long run if you wanna commit your life to doing this type of work, you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta love on your family. You have to understand that you're doing your part and that you can't you can't do everything. You can't you don't wanna self sacrifice for for the sake of the movement, you know, because you need to be here, you know, you need to be present. People are depending on you and um, you have to prioritize and you have to really think about what, how you want to be impactful to this work, how you want your commitment to black and brown people to look. Um, and then you, you act. But along the way, you have to, have to take care of yourself daily, um, knowing when to step back, knowing when to step up, knowing that you don't have to take on everything um i wish i would have known that early on and i didn't i had to learn that i was 10 toes down all the way in you know and it came with a sacrifice a huge sacrifice so i would say there's plenty of work to do plenty and it will be for a long time so if you're going if you're going to get into it just make sure that you take care of yourself along the way yeah